How many of you have ever worn contact lenses before? Just curious. How many of you have glasses or contact lenses that you wear, something for your eyes? Um, so I wear contacts. I have contact lenses in my eyes right now, and I also have eyeglasses. If I don't wear contacts or eyeglasses, I can see, but things are, are much blurrier, like when I don't have them in my eyes, and um, I can't see distances, or I can see up close, but I can't see distances. And so it, things are just much clearer when I have contact lenses in or when I have uh, my glasses on. If you have glasses or contacts, you know what that's like, right? You know that trying to see things from a distance <clears throat> is really difficult, and you can't always pick out images as clearly until you put your, your eyeglasses on or your contacts in. But here's something that's kind of interesting is if you have eyeglasses or you have contact lenses, if you put contact lenses in your eyes and you don't change them regularly or you don't take them out and clean them regularly, even though you have those corrective lenses in your eyes that should help you to be able to see clearly, uh, if you are not caring for them and you're not taking them out and washing them clean and doing what needs to be done with them, they could get cloudy and almost you can't even see better than you could if you didn't have them in your eyes. Same with eyeglasses. If you have eyeglasses, and I'm not going to go, I was going to go around and do this and try to pick someone who had the dirtiest looking eyeglasses. But if you take your eyeglasses off, if you ever take them off and you look at them like, how does anyone see through those? Have you ever done that? Uh, if you have kids or maybe it's you or maybe your wife, if you're married, it's like, how do you even see through those glasses? Because they're, they haven't been clean in forever. And you wonder, how in the world does anybody see through those? <clears throat> it, it becomes cloudy when they're not clearly clean and, and, and what they're expected to do and what they will do for you is limited because you're not taking the time uh, to make sure that they're in the condition they should be in. And in many ways, I feel like that's the same uh, kind of principle and truth in regards to you and I as men who love and follow Christ, are believers and followers of Jesus when it comes to our mind and mindset as we live in a world that is fallen and that is lost. Uh, God has given us the tools that we need to be able to think and see clearly in the culture in which we live, in the world that we find ourselves living in as followers of Christ. But a lot of times when we neglect that, when we uh, just don't take the time and put the effort and the focus into utilizing those tools that God has given to us to see and think clearly, um, our vision and our clarity and our thoughts get really cloudy. And you know as well as I do, it's frustrating when you want to see clearly and you can't. Or when you just can't get that fog out of your eyes or you just can't see things clearly, it can be frustrating, especially when you know you have the ability to, uh, but you can't. And so I I share that in regards to our perspective as men of God, as men who want to honor God in the way that we live. As we approach the word of God tonight, God has given us his word as that which helps us to be able to think and see clearly as we walk in this world that we walk in. Uh, obviously, the Spirit of God within us is, is the one who teaches us and leads us and guides us in his truth. But tonight, I want to think and talk about thinking and living clearly as men of God, as men who want to honor and follow Christ. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, the last part of 2 Timothy chapter 3 is, 
uh, has a couple very familiar verses, but I want to start at the beginning of the chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to read verses 1 through 17 tonight. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, it will be on the screen behind me. Uh, You can follow along in your copy of God's Word if you have a Bible with you, but I want to read this chapter, the whole chapter, and really look at it and give some challenges for us to consider tonight when it comes to this idea of thinking clearly and having a clear mind as we want to live for Christ in a world that really can cloud things up for us. So let's look at 2 Timothy 3. You can follow along as I read this. Paul's writing and he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, Arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people." For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as James and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Um, This is a really valuable, obviously all of scripture is valuable, but valuable portion of God's word when it comes to our understanding of having a clear mind, clear mindset and eyes as we seek to live in the current day and age in which we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just want to give us a a few challenges tonight, uh, three challenges, and then I have three questions that I want us to consider at our tables, and then I'm going to give us three applications after those questions as we wrap up tonight. So three challenges. I want to start with this challenge. First, as men who want to honor Christ, as men who want to follow God faithfully, we need to have a clear mind regarding those who are of the world. We need to have a clear mind regarding those who are of the world. As I read verses 1 through 5, um, and I read that list, look again at verses 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, 
proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Listen, if we read that list and you're trying to think through the current day and age in which we live and what is so prevalent and acceptable and widely acceptable in the culture in which we live, I mean, this is it. If we're trying to describe the world in which we live today and those that are in the world and of the world, those that are the enemies of Christ, those that are rejectors of the Lord Jesus Christ, those that are lost, and we read this list, you can go right down this list and say, man, like, I, I see that. I, I, I know that to be true. Um, just in the last two days, there were two things uh, that I came across and, and watched as far as news that I just thought, this is incredible. You, you would think that there's no way this could be possible to be actual real news. But there was one of a, of a Yale University professor who is in charge of basically uh, gender identity and transitions. And she shared, it was a 60-second clip where she shared that her job is to help those that are trying to determine their gender from ages 3 to 20 about that transition and what's the best thing for them as they make a transition for their gender. Starting at three years old, this is her job. She's a psychiatrist, this professor at Yale University, and that's her job is to have these conversations starting at the age of three about what that gender transition is going to look like for them. Uh, I, there was a clip on a one news station about a rally that was happening in Germany, and I believe this was either yesterday or today, but it was a rally in Germany, and it was a rally in, in support of zoophilia. Zoophilia. And what it was, they interviewed a guy, looked like he was probably in his 40s, and he was standing there with his German shepherd, and he shared about the sexual relationship he has with his German shepherd. And he shared about how this is, this is where he's at because he said, it is so much easier for me to be able to have an intimate sexual relationship with an animal than another human being because human beings don't understand me, basically. And he's standing there, and he's petting his dog. And I'm like, he is petting that dog. Like, when you, because it's one of these things where this is his identity. This is who he is. And there was like a whole crowd of people that were out there with their animals in a rally for this. And you'd think, this, this can't be real. But it was real. It was, it was actual, like, real, that this is what's being promoted. And again, we're talking about a very minority group here. But nonetheless, this was an actual event that took place. And you see these things that take place. Look at things that are taking place across our culture, even here in America. And you think, man, I don't have to look very far to see that, in the last days, there will become times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient, heartless, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God with treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, denying God. I mean, this is, this is the culture we live in today, guys. And here's this list that Paul lays out to Timothy, and he's warning him about, he says, understand this. He wants him to have a clear mind about this. He wants them to know this. 
He wants them to process this. And, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who follows God, we too have to have a clear mind regarding those who are of the world, those that are in the world and of the world. We have to have a clear mindset regarding this. And what is true of the individual that does not know Christ? They're lost. They're condemned in sin. And the only hope and the only answer that is there for their plight and where they find themselves at is Christ. He's the only answer for what their life is producing is Jesus. And we have to balance that, don't we? Because we have to then think in our mind, but, but for the grace of God in my life, um, I too would be the worst of sinners, right? Uh, I too would be left in my sin, dead in my sin, and desiring my sin and not desiring God or desiring Christ. There was nothing righteous within me, right, apart from Christ. So I have no reason to boast. I have no reason to think, man, I can't believe those people. Look at me. No, on the contrary, it helps me to understand and magnify the grace of God in my life that but for God's grace, so would I be. And, and so it's one of these things that we have to step back for a moment and have clarity in our understanding of what is true of those that are far from God and do not know Christ as Savior. What is true about those who that are in the world? But here's a question I would ask as I read that list. And I'm not going to read it a fourth time because I've already read it like three times. But as you look at that list and you look at that, that verse, verses 1 through 5, can I just ask a question? What on that list would make the list for you or me as a follower of Christ in our actions or words over the past seven days? What in that list would be true of how you and I have lived, responded, acted, talked over the past seven days? Because it's one thing for us to understand, like this is true of those that do not know God, are far from God, do not know Christ. But how tragic is it when even the follower of Christ or the one who claims the name of Christ would look at this list and say, man, that, that's something that I'm participating in, that I'm doing, that's true of me right now. And, and again, that's not our identity, right? And I'm not, there's a difference between, hey, I struggle in this area and that's who I am. You are no longer that if you are in Christ. That's not your identity any longer. But those things should not even be spoken of as a believer in Christ, as true of our lives. But we have to have this clear understanding, this clear mindset. Contrast that with what Paul says in Galatians 5. In Galatians 5, and 23, he says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus, listen to this, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who are in Christ belong to Christ, and that's the only way that's possible. Listen, if you're here tonight and you would look at that and say, man, that's, that's me, that describes my life, uh, you need to understand and have this clear mindset, apart from Jesus Christ, that's who you will continue to be. You and I have to understand that as men who would say we follow Jesus, apart from Christ, that's who we would still be. We have to have that clarity. We have to have that understanding. We have to have that clarity in our mindset. What better describes your character tonight, guys? What list, actions, words, what character traits that are seen here? The list that's found in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, or that which is in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, better describes our lives, our actions, our words, our day-to-day living, our living when we're not at church. How about that one? Our living when we're not in our church clothes or with our church face or with our church personality, what describes us when we are away from here? 
What list? You have to have a clear mindset. We have to clear mindset regarding those that are in the world and regarding what should be true of us that are not of the world. In 1 John 2, 15 to 17, John said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Listen, we have to have this clear mindset and understanding about those that are of the world, not only about their conduct, about what will be true of those that do not know Christ, but about their end destination as well. And that should stir us as followers of Jesus to action in sharing the gospel and representing Christ well in walking in a worthy manner and letting our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. In verse 5, regarding those that are of the world, he says this uh, at the end of the verse, avoid such people. Avoid such people. Listen, uh, Paul's making something abundantly clear. He's talking about the, the decisions, the actions, the intents of the heart, the very character and nature of the one that is far from God, what is true of then versus the contrast of what should be true of those that are in Christ. But also he's reminding the believer in Christ, we should not be putting ourselves into a position where we are being influenced to be and act like the world. He says, avoid such people. And specifically when he gets down to the verses 7 and 8 and 6 and 7 and 8, he talks about those that were even causing great division, dissension, and problems even within uh, the church. And those that were even uh, causing dissension and problems within the church and they were never ultimately arriving at the truth, knowledge of the truth. But he says avoid such people. Listen, should we be seeking to share the gospel with those that are lost? Absolutely. Should we be loving people who are far from God and lost? Absolutely. Should we be praying for them? Yes, should we be desiring to have an impact in their lives and in their relationships and what they're, yes. Should we be ambassadors for Christ? Yes. Should we represent Christ well to them? Yes. But should we be influenced by them? No. Should we be like them? No. Should we be those that are transformed by them rather than them being transformed by the word of God? No. Should we be partnered with them? No. You see, Paul's laying out something abundantly clear for the believer in Christ that, that people will be these things that are far from God and those things should be the farthest thing from us as people of God. We have to have a clear mindset. We have to have a clear mindset about these issues. In, in chapter 2, one chapter earlier, verses 22 to 26, Paul tells Timothy, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Listen to what he says here. He's going to lay out this list of all those things that are not that. But look at what he says right before this. In the context leading up to this list of the things that are true of those that are in the world, here's what he instructs Timothy. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. He says, flee those things, proactively pursue these things, and not only pursue those things, but he says also pursuing those that are doing these things, those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. You see this clarity that he's giving to Timothy is, is not only understanding where the world is and what the world does, but what should be true of the believer in Christ and what the believer in Christ does. And here he says, avoid them, flee from these things, and pursue righteousness, but also those who are practicing righteousness in chapter 2. He goes on to say, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So again, he's saying here that this is something we shouldn't be influenced by, but at the same time, he's telling them that you also must not be quarrelsome, but kind. You must not be angry, but be, be gentle. Be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, because there's a desire to see those individuals that do not know Christ come to know Christ. We have to have a clear mind regarding those who are of the world. I think there's a second challenge here, though, and that's to have a clear mind regarding your role as a believer in Jesus Christ. Have a clear mind regarding your role as a believer in Jesus Christ. If you look at verses 10 to 15, I think that's where, where Paul breaks this down for Timothy. And he's going to give Timothy some pretty clear instruction here, and he's going to remind him of some things. And what's interesting is that Timothy is someone that, that Paul was already acknowledging was doing these things, and he's encouraging him along the way. Because here's the thing that's interesting. Have you ever heard someone teach or someone give instruction that when they're giving it, and you're like, I'm already doing that. Why are you telling me that? Uh, and it's like, well, listen, you need to hear it anyhow. My kids do this regularly. Um, I just had a phone conversation tonight uh, when, before I came in here because I was talking to my daughters, and I wanted to talk to them before uh, it got too late. And I was talking to them, and I was like, hey, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to do X, Y, Z. And so my oldest daughter, after I said it, she kind of went upstairs to get started doing it. And I'm like, get back down here. I'm not done. And she's like, I already know what I have to do. Like, she didn't even want to hear, like, the last part of it because she's like, I got it already, right? But I was like, no, get down here because you're going to hear it again. Like, I'm like, listen, because I want to make sure you get it all. I want to make sure you get it right. So instruction in teaching is not always because the person that's receiving it is not already doing it. Paul's reiterating this again to a servant, Timothy, a pastor, a young pastor, who is already demonstrating a heart of obedience to the Lord. And he's going to commend him for that in some ways because he says, you, however, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. He says, you have followed all of that. And you know in following me all that I endured uh, because of Christ and all that came into my life that I've endured, the Lord rescued me, he says. But he's telling Timothy here to have a clear mind regarding your role as a believer in Jesus Christ. And, and I think the first part of that is the role as a believer in Jesus Christ to live out the truth. Paul, Paul's using himself as an example here. And he's commending Timothy at the same time by saying, hey, listen, you have followed my teaching my conduct, my aim in life. So there's obedience seen in Timothy's life. There was obedience modeled in Paul's life. But there's this clear mind regarding your role as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so guys, listen, one of the primary things we have to understand about our role as a follower of Jesus Christ is that we're to follow and live out the truth. We're to follow and be obedient to God's word. That is a primary role we have as a follower of Jesus Christ is to be obedient to the word of God and live that out in our lives. Paul did that. And he's, he's commending Timothy at the same time for this. Um, we can't get mixed up about why we are here. It's very easy to get confused and mixed up about why we're here and what our role is. We can get all mixed up about what our role is. And here's where we get start to get mixed up about our role. We start to get mixed up about what our role is when we think we need to put our own input into it, don't we? When we read what God says, and maybe we have our own opinion, and so maybe we just feel like, yeah, a little correction's needed. Sounds crazy, but in action, don't we do that? In our mindset, don't we do that? Uh, i give you an example. The other day, uh, kids were outside, and they were picking out these weeds out of the mulch that were growing. 
And so I went out there and I told the girls, I said, uh, th- three of my girls were out there. One of them was not. And I told the girls when they were out there, I said, hey, when you guys are done picking all that out, put it in, into a garbage bag. I don't just want it like tossed. Uh, I want to put it in a garbage bag. And then I'm going to take it over, you know, to the dumpster that we had there because we're getting rid of some stuff. And, and I said, so we'll but put it in a garbage bag. So I go inside. I was doing stuff. I come back outside maybe a half hour later. And I look in the dumpster and like all of this stuff is just tossed in the dumpster like these weeds. And I'm like, what is going So I was, and so my one daughter that wasn't out there, when she came out, her sisters told her, like, hey, dad wants us to put this in this bag. And she was like, why? She's like, it's so much easier just to throw it in the dumpster. So she walked over and just threw it in the dumpster. And so I come outside and I'm like, she's like, dad, I thought it was, I said, I don't care what you thought it was. Like, I, I mean, I kind of walked through some understanding for her of, it doesn't matter what you think. Like, it was one of those things of like, I don't care if it was the easiest thing in the world for you to do. That's not what I wanted you to do. So do it the hard way then, right? I'm trying to give clarity about this. But here's the thing, as I'm thinking through the text today, I was thinking about like, what our mindset is about the instruction that God gives too often you and I think we might know a little bit better than God when it comes to his instruction for our living. How we should do things. What that should look like. Because we have a better way to do it. Or an easier way to do it. Or a more effective way to do it. Than God? That's, that's a problem, isn't it? We have to have a clear mind regarding our role as a believer in Jesus Christ because no matter what you think your role is, that role cannot be true if it doesn't include following and being obedient to the truth of God's word. That is going to be a staple for any believer in Jesus Christ that wants to live for the Lord Jesus Christ is to follow and live out the truth. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, Paul, same author as 1 Timothy same author as 2 Timothy, he lays out what I think is the role of every believer in Christ. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And so here he lays it out again, and there's similar teaching in that passage in Romans 12, 1 through 3, as there is here in 2 Timothy 3, when he says, avoid these things. And he says here, uh, you know, do not be conformed to the world, to the image of the world, the likeness of the world, the desires of the world, the lusts of the world, the participation with the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We have to have a clear mind regarding our role as a believer in Christ that involves following and living out the truth. But it also involves, listen to this because a lot of people don't like to hear this, our role as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer in Christ, also involves persecution and suffering. And a lot of people don't like to hear this. We don't like to be reminded of this. Our role as a believer in Christ is to suffer persecution. Um, that's, that's one of those ones that when we hear that are, that's not necessarily what you hear at an evangelistic rally, right, at a revival. That's not necessarily what you hear before an altar call. Hey, listen, Jesus wants you to be saved. He, he wants to forgive you of your sins, and you can believe on him as Lord and Savior. And by doing so, you're, you're welcoming into your life a life of service and commitment to the Lord, which will involve persecution and hatred by the world. You'll be an enemy of the world. They're going to hate you like they hated Jesus. You're going to suffer persecution. But God says that it's going to be okay because what you suffer in this life is not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed. Who wants to come and accept Jesus now? The, the standard kind of invitation in many situations now is come to Jesus and everything will be great for you. Guys, listen, part of our role as a believer in Jesus Christ is to suffer persecution. 
How many times do we hear believers say, man, persecution might be coming to America. Uh, we're, we're praying against that. And yet it seems like the church thrives under persecution because it's been given to you. And this is what's interesting to me. This, these verses really kind of rock our, our minds when we consider them. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul the Apostle is writing from prison. In Philippians 1, 27 to 30, he says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, walk, walk worthy, right? Let your life be lived in such a way that you're worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your adversaries or your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. But listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. Listen to what he says here. For it has been granted to you. When someone says, hey, it's been granted to you, you almost think of that like as a, as a gift, as a privilege, as an honorable thing. It's been granted to you. It's been given to you by God. It's something that you've received from God. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. Let, let's look up here for a second because this is what I find so interesting. Paul starts off this verse and he says, listen, it has been granted to you on the behalf of Christ. It's been granted to you not only to believe in Jesus. Now, if I were to stop you and say, hey, how many of you would think, hey, it's been granted to you believe in Jesus? That's a privilege. You would say, that is a privilege. That is a blessing. That is a privilege. That is a high, high calling. That's, that's amazing that it's been granted to you to believe in Jesus. How many of you would say that's an incredible thing? Believing in Jesus. It's an incredible thing. It's been granted to you by God to believe in Jesus. Listen to what he says. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for him. Suffer for his sake, he says. This is what Paul says here. He's putting on the level of of privilege, if you will, of blessing, if you will, of, of that which God has given to you in Christ, not only to believe in him. Praise God, we believe in Jesus. That's incredible that God has enabled us and allowed us to do that. But he says not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. I mean, when was the last time we thought about suffering and thought, wow, what a privilege to suffer for Christ? And yet if you read Acts chapter 5, when the apostles were thrown in prison for preaching Jesus, and they were commanded not to preach Jesus again, and then they were beaten again and released. You know what it says after they were released they did? It says they left from their rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. They counted it a privilege to suffer. And so we have to have this understanding, a clear mind regarding our role as a believer in Christ is not only to be obedient, to live out, follow the truth, but it's also to suffer persecution because that's what's promised to us. If you look at the passage before us, he says in verse 12, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Here's what I find interesting about this is he doesn't say they might be persecuted. He doesn't say they may be persecuted. He doesn't say there's a chance they'll be persecuted. He says anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They'll be persecuted. It's a given. It's going to happen. It will take place. It will take place. And, and this is one of those things that's so hard to balance as we teach our children, as we teach people, as we teach believers about the persecution that will take place if you're a follower of Christ. And persecution looks 
all manner of different ways, doesn't it? I mean, some of the persecution we might endure in America is much different than the persecution believers are enduring in India. Uh, some of the persecution we're enduring in America is much different than the persecution they might be enduring in Afghanistan or Iraq or Iran. It's, it's different than the persecution they might be enduring um, in, in lands where if you're a follower of Christ, it means immediate death sentence. It means immediate imprisonment. It means immediate abandonment by family. So some of that persecution might look differently here than it does elsewhere, but he says that you will suffer if you're desiring to live godly for Christ Jesus. And listen, guys, look at our culture Look at anyone who takes a stance on the gospel. Look at anyone who is bold enough to take a stance on the gospel. And look what happens. Um, now, in America, I, I don't know that we're so far in that persecution field as, as so many other countries. Uh, there still seems to be a, a lot of believers who, who follow the Lord and love the Lord and want to be about the work of the Lord. And, and so we still are surrounded by many believers that want to follow and love Christ. But... Uh, we have to have a clear mindset regarding our role as a believer in Jesus Christ, and part of that role is being willing to suffer persecution as we seek to live for him. Are we prepared for that? Are we ready for that? And then also having this clear mind regarding your role as a believer is to endure and be faithful to the end. If you look at verses 13 to 15, that's what Paul's calling on Timothy. He says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus, through faith in Christ Jesus. I love this, that he says, but as for you. Right? The world is going to go from bad to worse. People are going to go from being evil to continue to be evil. They're going to go from loving the things of the world and the evil that is in the world to continue loving the world and the things that are in the world. That doesn't really matter what they're doing. You know what he says? But as for you, you continue. You remain steadfast. You continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed. Don't worry about what others are doing, what the world is doing. Have a clear mind regarding your role as a follower of Jesus Christ. Guys, here's when we tend to get dragged down and we tend to, to get stagnant in our faith. It's when we begin to compare what we're doing with what everybody else is doing. If the measure of our success or the measure of our uh, quote-unquote holiness, if the measure of our obedience to Christ is based upon what everybody else is doing, we're using the wrong measuring stick. That's not what we're doing, right? We're not comparing ourselves with others. We're comparing ourselves in comparison with a holy God the standard that he has set, the striving to be like our God. He is holy, be holy as I am holy, he says. And so we have to have clarity about our role as a believer in Jesus Christ. And I think that's what Paul's calling Timothy to here. He's telling him and reminding him how bad things are, how bad the people in the world are, how evil sin is. And yet he's saying, listen, but as for you, continue, be steadfast. Continue in that which you have firmly believed and what you have learned clarity about our role as a follower of Christ. And then third, have clear mind regarding the authority and power of the word of God. These are the two verses that are probably most familiar to people in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's verses 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Have a clear mind regarding the authority and power of the word of God. Here's what I think we have to understand about the word of God. The word of God is authoritative. 
The word of God is profitable. The word of God is necessary and essential. The word of God is powerful and effective. And, and here's why we have to embrace those things. Authoritative, profitable, necessary and essential, powerful and effective. Because if the word of God says something, that has to be good enough for us. If God's word gives instruction about a certain situation or a certain principle or God's word gives clarity on a subject matter, on an issue, on a life issue, on a controversy, whatever it is, if God's word says it, that has to be good enough for us. Because God's word is the authority. God's word is where the power lies. God's word is what is quick and active. God's word is what is everlasting. Heaven and earth will pass away, God's word says, but his word will endure And so we have to have this proper mindset, a clear mind regarding the authority and power of the word of God. I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to that would claim to be followers of Christ and they know what God's word says on an issue or a matter and they don't want to accept it, believe it, or follow it because they don't like it. Guys, ultimately, it doesn't matter if we like it. We might have like a completely different thought about something than God does. But listen, God has to win in that argument because we don't have that authority. We don't have that power. We don't have that knowledge. And and so we have to have a clear mindset regarding this. Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. He talks about how it cuts deep. It's a revealer of the heart and mind of, of man. And so we have to have a clear mind regarding the authority and power of the word of God. Listen, if we believe the word of God is the word of God, if we believe it is breathed out by God, if we believe that its origin is in God, then we need to look at it as our authority for instruction, as that which is profitable for us, as that which is necessary for us. That's why Job would talk about desiring the words of God's mouth more than his necessary food, more than the food I eat. God, I need your word. And so we have to have this clear mind regarding the authority and power of the word of God. And when we have that, it changes how we think, it changes how we live, changes what's on our list of priorities. And a lot of the things that we get so troubled about, we won't be so troubled about when we can rest in the authority of God's word. So three challenges to consider. Have a clear mind regarding those who are of the world. Have a clear mind regarding your role as a believer in Christ. Have a clear mind regarding the authority and power of the word of God. If you flip to the back side there, there's three questions. And we could throw these questions up here, Andy, if they're up there. Uh, Questions to consider. One, why do we oftentimes not think clearly about those who are of the world? Sometimes we can get really mixed up on this. We can lose the urgency of of sharing the gospel. We can lose the reality of those that we're interacting with that don't know Christ. Why do we oftentimes not think clearly? Number two, why do we oftentimes not think clearly about our role as a believer in Christ? Why does that get muddied so often? You ever talk to a believer and you're like, hey, why are you here? Why are you on earth? Well, I'm on earth because God blessed me to make money. That's, That's fine, but that's not why you're here if you're a believer in Christ. Well, God put me on this earth to play baseball. Like, well, no, he's not. If, if you're a follower of Christ, that's not your primary role. Now, you might be good at that, and you might do that. You might do that for a living, and it might be that which God uses to glorify him so that you can reach people with the gospel, but that's not your primary role is to, is to do your job or to do a hobby or to invest in the stock market. Like, that's not your primary role. Why do we sometimes get that confused? And then number three, why do we oftentimes not think clearly regarding the authority and power of the word of God? Unless I'm the only one, why is it easy sometimes to know what God says and maybe try to, in some ways, manipulate not having to do exactly what he says all the time? 
Why is that something so oftentimes that we're not thinking clearly about? I want to give you some time at your tables, discuss those three questions. We're going to wrap up with a few applications after I give you some time. So go ahead and check those out at your tables. All right, guys, I want to get through these questions and get a couple of responses tonight. So let's look at these quick questions to consider. Uh, number one here, why do we oftentimes not think clearly about those who are of the world? Would you guys talk about at your table? Someone share with me briefly what you uh, talked about in this regard. Anybody want to share? I know there was a lot of talking going on. Okay, distractions. We said the exact same thing. We just said the exact same thing at our, our table. What, in what way? Okay. Yeah. So sometimes, and I think the Psalms talk a lot about this, don't they, where David regularly is asking the Lord, why do the wicked prosper? Um, why does it seem everything their hand touches is blessed? Why does it seem that everything they're doing is turning to gold and, and yet your servant is suffering? And, and, but there's this understanding of the, the righteousness and justice of God and of the promise of God and how we have to have clarity and perspective and understanding of what is true of the one who does not know Christ versus the one who does. And, and so distractions can serve in that way for sure. What else? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of times we could think like, hey, who am I to judge? Right? Who am I to who am I to pass judgment? And and there is a difference, isn't there, between looking down at someone with a judgmental attitude and having a true perspective of what the Word of God says about someone who is lost. And, and so we have to have a clarity and a mindset of what God says is truth. And even if what God says seems to be judgmental, he he can be judgmental because he's God, right? So we want to have clarity about what does the word of God say in regards to that. So sometimes in our fear of coming across as judgmental, we can we can lack clarity in that for sure. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of times we don't have clarity about those that are in the world and of the world because we might want to be participating with them <laughs> in what they're doing. And, and maybe even the excuse for it is I'm just trying to get close to share Christ with them, so I'm going to do all these things. Absolutely. And so it can, it can really cloudy things up, right? Um, and, and it can be dangerous to do that. Um, what about number two? Why do we sometimes not think clearly about our role as a believer in Christ? Why do sometimes we not think clearly about our role? Do you ever get confused on that or clouded on that or maybe lose sight of that as far as our role? How, how come that happens sometimes? Okay. Goes back to distractions, busyness. We got so much to do. We got a lot on the plate, right? So... Yeah, God wants me to be an ambassador for Christ. Yes, God wants me to be his representative. Yes, God wants me to share the gospel. Yes, God's want, well, God wants me to present myself to him as a living sacrifice. I'm doing that from 10 to 12 on Sunday, right? It, it can be easy with schedules, distractions, uh, timing, all of the responsibilities on our shoulder to allow that to kind of cloudy things up and muddy those waters um, of, of really what is our role as a follower of Christ? What is God wanting from us? And, and so what can happen sometimes is we can separate what's going on in our schedule from what the role we have as a believer in Christ is. But here's the reality. Whatever's going on in our schedule, our role is the same in those roles, right? Like if, if I got this going on, this going on, this going on, it doesn't change what my responsibility is with all those things that are going on. That's consistent. But sometimes we can miss that. So I shared an illustration 
And this is in no way, shape, or form to uh, the part of the reason why I shared some of the things with my daughters earlier is to let you know they're not perfect and they do things wrong and I got to correct them. But uh, one one thing to share to balance it out that was good this past week. My my oldest daughter started high school, and so on her uh, second day of high school that she was there. She's a freshman, um, which she was a little nervous going into it, and and rightly so. I, I feel like that would be a really nerve wracking time, especially present day, uh, going into. Um, with public school and not knowing what all you're going to get and everything else. And so she was there. And so she said that she had an assignment. She came home. She was so excited from school. She said, Dad, I think my, my teacher, and I think it was in language arts or one of those classes, she said, I think, I think he's a believer. I think he knows Jesus. And I go, oh, really? Why is that, honey? And she said, well, we had an assignment where we had to go around the room and we had to describe ourselves in one word. And when it came to me, I said, the word to describe myself is saved, is what she said. And she said, and he responded and said, that's, that's the best word you could say. He's like, that's so important. It's the best word you could say. And she said, a bunch of other classmates said the same. Like, that's great. That we, we agree. We agree. That's the best word you could say. And she was real encouraged by it. Like, I'm standing there and I'm baffled. Like, what would I say? Like, if they went around, I'll be like, Buffalo Bills fan. Like, what would I say if someone said, describe yourself when it comes to you? And I'm just thinking around the room, like, hey, guys, if, if you know, not knowing why, as you're walking a door, I'm like, describe yourself in one word. You might be like, you know, golfer, you know, um, former Browns fan. You might say, um, you know, uh, I'm, <laughs> you, you might say, you might say all kinds of things, dad, husband, uh, you know, pastor, um, you know, whatever. You might say all kinds of things, but, but what the, the thought process about who we are, describe yourself in a word or describe yourself to me uh, in this moment that you have to describe yourself, would it be, uh, you know, ambassador of Christ or Christ follower, uh, Christian um, you know, what, what would we do in that situation? Again, like, my, my kids aren't, like, in any way, shape, or form perfect. They don't do everything right. This was one of the areas that, like, Ella did right. Like, she, she said that, and I was like, man, like, that's incredible, honey. That's great you would, you would say that. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, what was this girl thinking? Like, she know, like, there's a lot of kids that are going to target her. Now. Like, I'm thinking, that's what I'm thinking, right? Pastor dad, that's what I'm thinking. But I, it was convicting because I'm thinking about, like, wow, like, there was some pr- pretty quick clarity on her mind about how she would describe herself, like to say saved. And I'm thinking, well, what would I say? You know, what would I say? And, and again, um, that's an area I feel like for us as, as men, we have to be ready to have clarity and give an answer, right, about the hope that's within us. We have to be willing to, to stand as, as those that are representatives of Christ. And sometimes we can get clouded. And, and listen, it's not always clouded up with what would be, quote, unquote, bad things. Or things that aren't good things. If my primary identity is as a dad or a husband, that's not a bad thing, a dad or husband. But that's not who I primarily am, first and foremost. I'm a follower of Christ, right? I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And again, those things aren't bad things. But they can become idols if, if we're not careful. And so we have to have clarity about our primary role. Number three, why do we oftentimes not think clearly about the authority and power of the word of God? Why does sometimes that get clouded up in our minds? Or do you always think, that's it, that's good enough for me? Like, or does it ever get cloudy? Does it ever get difficult? Why? Any thoughts? Conviction? Conviction, right on, right? I mean, sometimes we're like so convicted, they're just like, I don't even want to think about it. Like, I don't even want to approach it. I don't even want to, I don't even want to, like, know. I don't want to be reminded what God says about that because I already know what he says and I don't want to hear it again. Because the conviction's so great. Um, or we're, we just love too much what we're doing to want to really know what God thinks about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, responsibility. Right? I mean, how about the passage where we're told to him that knows to do good and does it not to him that is sin? Um, you know, we're, we're preaching through the Sermon on the Mount and some of the commands that Jesus is laying out there and clarity that Jesus is giving about you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. The things that Jesus is saying, it's like, what? That's, that's the standard. That's what it means. That's what the righteousness truly looks like. And so sometimes it, it can be extremely convicting. It can be feel like a heavy weight of responsibility. Um, and sometimes we just don't really want to know or hear because we enjoy what we're doing too much. And so we don't want to have clarity. We don't want to think that through because then we don't have excuse, right? We're without excuse then um, because we do know and we do hear and we do understand. And God has given us what we need to be able to be obedient. So uh, let me just give three applications as we wrap up tonight. In light of all that we've studied, in light of these clear mindsets that we need to have about those that are in the world, about our role and about the word of God, and then also in regards to some of these questions. Applications, number one, pray for those who are lost. Um, If we have a clear understanding of those that are lost, those that do not know Christ, it should cause us, even as Paul the Apostle related, when he talked about how like he, he just was so burdened for those that were lost and for his countrymen that were, that were not, that he would rather be severed from Christ than, than to know about what their destruction is going to be. And, and so this is one of these things where we need to be co- collectively as a body, individually as individuals who love Jesus, be praying for those that are lost. We, we can't allow ourselves to be distracted by what we would think are quote-unquote good people. Um, I have a lot of family members that do not know Christ as Savior, but by world standards, they are good people. They're good people. They're caring people, loving people. They'll do anything for anybody. They'll give you the shirt off their back. Like, literally, they would, they would try to meet any need that could be met. And sometimes it can be easy to get distracted and think, they'll, they'll be okay. They're not going to be okay. Uh, apart from Christ, they're, they're not okay. And so we have to be consistently praying for those who are lost um, you know, when was the last time that you really, with a true heartfelt burden before the Lord, laid out before the Lord those that do not know Christ, that you know, care for, love, and, and just petition the Lord for their salvation, that pray that God would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel, pray that God would intervene in their life, and, and pray for them, uh, for those who are lost. We can do this more consistently, I think, as, as many want to honor God. We can more consistently be flooding the the gates of of the throne room of God in in petition for those that are lost. Number two, share and live out the gospel whatever the cost. This is something we have to be prepared for and we have to be committed to. Not only sharing the gospel, but living that out uh, so that others will see what we are living like and ask about the hope within us. But share and live out the gospel whatever the cost. It it, it oftentimes, I think, is a check in our, our mind and heart and spirit when we might want to speak up concerning Christ, but when we, when we try to measure the consequences first, right? Um, what is this going to cost me? If I'm having a relationship with someone, we're in a conversation and opportunity, a softball, it's teed up for me just to knock it out of the park and presenting the gospel. My thought is, I wonder how this person's going to react to that if I share this right now. And so guess what? I just won't share it. Um, maybe you've had that happen. If you've not had that happen, you probably will where the opportunity is there to speak up about the name of Christ, to glorify God, to share the gospel. But there's this check of like, okay, what's that going to mean for my relationship? Are they going to want me to come over for dinner still? Are they not going to want me to be like over to watch the game? Like all these things can run through our head, and so we'll just not say anything. 
uh, when it comes time to give an answer for the hope that's listening to us. But share and live out the gospel, whatever the cost. Be committed to that. And number three, study and obey the word of God. Again, these aren't earth-shattering, ground-breaking, tsunami-type things that are going to take you by surprise. These are things you've heard before, but maybe sometimes we struggle to do them. Study and obey the word of God. If we, again, have clarity about those who are in the world and lost, we should be praying for them consistently, constantly, that they would know Christ. If we have clarity and understanding about our role as a believer, we should be sharing and living out the gospel, whatever the cost. And if we have clarity and understanding about the authority of the word of God, then we need to be studying and obeying it daily in our lives. Again, these are not new things. But... Although they're not new things, they are maybe new things when it comes to actually doing them and putting them into practice in our lives on a daily basis. And so let's, let's start there. Um, I told you we would be wrapping up and I would tell you about our study for the fall. So we are going to be doing a study, and, and some of you, um, when you hear this, you might be like, really? Um, we're going to be doing a study for the 10 weeks in the fall on uh, 176 verses of Psalm 119. Um, I'm just curious by show of hands, how many of you have ever done a study on Psalm 119 before? Has anybody been a part of a study with Psalm 119? One, two, three, four. There's four, maybe five hands in this group of people who have done a study on Psalm 119. I thought about doing a study in Galatians. How many of you have done a study in Galatians before, been part of a study in Galatians before? Put your hands up real high so I can see Galatians. Yeah, many hands. Um, Psalm 119 is 176 verses long. Most people that read Psalm 119, the only time they ever read Psalm 119 is when they're doing a read through the Bible in a year challenge. Because most people, when they go to the Psalms, if it's not for a read through the Bible in a year, it's because, well, I got to read my Bible and there's Psalms that are like three verses, so I got to read a Psalm so I can say I read my Bible today, okay? That, that's what a lot of people do, is they go to a Psalm because they want a quick hit, right? It's just a quick drive-by reading. So they, they go to Psalms, they read a quick Psalm, shut their Bible, and they read their Bible for the day. Most people do not want to tackle Psalm 119. It's 176 verses long, guys. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, obviously, of any book. But the Word of God is exalted. The Word of God is, is, is magnified in Psalm 119. And listen to just some of these words that describe God's Word. And God's Word is described in Psalm 119 as statutes, counselors, um, instruction, uh, all, the, all these things. But it talks about counsel for us in living it talks about hiding God's word in our hearts so that we might not sin against God. It talks about God's word being that which sustains us, which guides us, which gives us instruction for living, that which helps to sustain us when we are in despair, when we are distraught, when we are hurting, that which directs us and guides us when we are struggling with sin, that which gives us answers and counsels us when we are in need of answers and counsel. And it is just a magnification of the necessity, the value, the authority, and the power of the Word of God. Psalm 119 is filled with that. And so for the 10 weeks of our study in the fall, we're going to be studying Psalm 119, uh, reading through that chapter, not every single, well, that's all we would do. If we were going to read the whole chapter, every, uh, the whole Psalm every single Thursday, it would take up like quite a bit of time. It's 176 verses. But what I'm going to be encouraging you in preparation for our time starting September 15th is read Psalm 119 by September 15th five times through. Okay, five times through by September 15th, five by the 15th, Psalm 119, read it through five times. And I want you just to take in and take note of how the word of God is exalted 
is is authoritative, is necessary, essential, and valuable for our living. Psalm 119. If you do that, I think you'll familiarize yourself with those verses. So when we go to study that together and there's teaching about it, you're going to have much more familiarity with the whole picture as opposed to just the individual sections that we're going to be looking at, which will be beneficial. But try to read through Psalm 119 five times between now and September 15th. Come prepared for that. Invite someone to come with you. Um, it will probably be something refreshing and new for most of us that don't typically pull out our Bible and think, okay, what's 176 verses I want to read today? Um, this will be a time that we can look at God's Word together and be beneficial. Uh, it will be beneficial for us. So, Okay, let me pray for us as we go from here. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the instruction of the Word of God, and we thank you for... The way that you have guided us, Lord, you've given us your spirit so that we might know you, we might understand your word, and we might live out the word of God in our lives. We can't do it apart from you. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And yet, through you, we can do all things because Christ gives us strength. And so I pray that yet would be true of our lives, that we would, Lord, honor you, glorify you in our words, in our actions, that we would faithfully represent Christ to a world that is lost. And I pray that you would uh, just give us a good evening of rest tonight. Help us to be uh, husbands that are honoring to you, dads that are honoring to you, uh, neighbors that are honoring to you, coworkers that are honoring to you, so that we might represent Christ well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.